Father, we thank you for your gift of salvation that is found in Jesus Christ alone. That you chose to make the way for us to be made whole, not by works that we accomplish, but by the works that he accomplished. Specifically, the work he accomplished on the cross by being our perfect sacrifice. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that, uh, that he left the Father's throne in glory. He left his heavenly home to become fully man while retaining his full deity. And he came in obedience to the Father. He came in humility. He came to die. And though he knew the pain that was associated with his death before it even came, he knew the, the pain that was associated with the separation that he would experience from the Father as he was bearing our sins. He did it anyway. He did it because he loves us. He did it because he loves you. He did it because he knew there was no other way for us to have righteousness. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that we could uh, come here together today on this first day of the year and start our year by worshiping you, by exalting and exalting you for who you are and for all that you have done. To start our year off in a, a humble posture recognizing your greatness and our weakness, recognizing our own inability, our own struggles. Lord, thank you that we could come here together today as your people, thanking you for the year that is behind, thanking you and looking forward to the year that lies ahead. Lord, help us to grow ever closer to you in 2023. Help us to be closer to you by being in your word more, by praying more, by encouraging one another more and exhorting one another more. Help us to be obedient to you in a, in a higher way this year than we were perhaps last year. Father, I pray that you would help us to grow to be more like Jesus. I pray that you would develop within us a passion to press forward into the Christian life as what we'll see Paul exhibits for us in our passage today. Help us to have a passion for you so that the things of this world will just matter less to us. So Father, we ask for your blessing. We ask for your blessing on this year. We ask for you to work in great and mighty ways amongst us in this year. We ask that in this hour that you would work among us and use your word to spur us on to love and good works. We love you. We thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to join me in the book of Philippians. We are resuming our series uh, by Paul in the book of Philippians. We're in chapter 3 today. We'll begin in verse 12. But a little recap, Paul has laid out for us Jesus 
as our prime example of how to live, how to live a humble life. Remember that, that, great, pa- that great and grand passage in the, the early verses of chapter 2, how he lays out for us the humility of Jesus, the obedience of Jesus, and how God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. Not just those who believed in this lifetime, but every knee will bow and every tongue confess. And then just a few verses later in Philippians chapter 2, uh, verses 12 and 13, we read these words, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And we wrestled through those verses a while back now uh, as to how we are to... Uh, put real, genuine effort into living a godly life, understanding that it's God working in us that actually produces that good fruit because we just can't do that on our own. And that, that tension in the, the, those verses uh, is very real, it's palpable. Uh, but yet we are commanded to live for him and we can by his grace, by his power. Our challenge from the Word of God is to put effort into living a godly life, and that increases in today's passage. Uh, For the natural man, this is impossible, but for those who are born again, it is our calling and by God's empowerment, our capability to grow in Christ. My prayer is that as we embark into a new year, we will humbly assess our spiritual lives over the past year. Are we closer to the Lord January 1, 2023 than we were January 1, 2022? Or, or, or did we have some ups and downs? And maybe we're at the, kind of the same place, but we went through a lot in between. There's lots of ways you can assess. But a new year's a good time to do that. I invite you to follow along in our passage this morning. Philippians 3, we'll begin reading in verse 12. Philippians 3, 12 through 14, hear the word of the Lord. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, there is a passion that Paul is trying to communicate to God's people through these words, that your spirit wants to communicate through Paul, through these words to us, that we might intensely grow closer to you, that we might set aside other priorities for the highest priority of knowing you more. So, Father, work in our hearts this morning. Use your spirit and your word to encourage and convict and motivate, captivate us, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Our big idea this morning is God wants us to passionately pursue 
Christ. God wants us to passionately pursue Christ, and he, uh, he communicates that to us through the life of Paul. If we back up to verse 10, if you'd follow along with me, verses 10 through 12, Paul uh, still, still writing, still talking uh, his own testimony in these, these verses. He says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Did you notice that we just sang these words? We did. Some of you noticed. Some of you just sang words and didn't pay attention. But we sang this passage in that last song uh, before the sermon. Verse 11, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this. What? The resurrection. He hasn't obtained the resurrection. He hasn't obtained the full knowledge of Jesus, the full knowledge of the power of his resurrection. He hasn't fully shared in the sufferings of Jesus. He doesn't know Jesus in his death Quite fully yet. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on. Being like Jesus is the sum total of everything that Paul wants. Can we say that about ourselves? Or, or are there other things that capture our imagination, capture our passion. Being like Jesus is the sum total of everything that Paul wants, but he's not there yet. And by saying that, he's not being self-deprecating in any form or fashion. He's not being hard on himself. He's being realistic. So there are three ways in, in this verse, in verse 12, that we see that Paul is imperfect. First of all, he is not obtained. Paul's passion uh, is going to stand contrary to the heresies of his day and to be quite frank the heresies of our own day in some parts of Christendom as well. Uh, and, and here's the heresy. The heresy is that the resurrection is already over. That the resurrection of the believers has already happened. Many in Paul's, days were, Paul's day were already claiming that Jesus had returned. Now, doesn't that kind of make you scratch your head a little bit? Because, I mean, where is he then? <laughs> um, and, and where are all these saints who died before? Shouldn't they be alive? Now, so what, what was happening already in Paul's day is that they knew the prophecies that Jesus would reign as the Messiah, as king of the world. We talked about that uh, quite a bit last week. Uh, but they interpreted it as some sort of spiritual reign or a, a rule in absentia where he's ruling from his throne in heaven uh, but not actually going to uh, establish a throne on earth even though uh, the Old Testament prophecies were quite clear. He was going to have David's throne. He was going to have the throne in Jerusalem. Um, and never mind the, the Old Testament prophecies regarding his first advent, advent all came to pass quite literally. All the, the prophecies about his birth came about just as they said that he would be born in Bethlehem. It didn't matter that his parents were living in Nazareth at the time. God made sure they made their way to Bethlehem. He said that he would be born of a virgin. Yes, Mary was a virgin, even at the point of Jesus' birth. And, and all these uh, hundreds of prophecies relating to his birth and his life on earth, his 
a salvific death for us. Sorry for using a big word on the first day of the year. Some of you are going to wake up. You've got to wake up. It, did, it didn't matter that all of these prophecies were literally fulfilled. Somehow they make this jump that, well, these other prophecies that haven't been fulfilled yet, such as his reign on a throne in, in David's stead, that somehow uh, that is not going to be a literal prophecy. Uh, and so this, this heresy was alive and well back in Paul's day. It's alive and well today. The same was true regarding the resurrection. Jesus was raised from the dead. He was, in every physical sense, dead. He died on the cross. Crucifixion had become a favored means by the Roman government to keep people under their control. And the blood loss alone from the beating oftentimes killed people before they were even crucified. So Rome developed methods and means to make sure they didn't accidentally, mercifully kill their victim too quickly. That's how cruel and unusual uh, Roman executions were. Jesus did not die from the beatings. He died from being crucified, being nailed to a wooden cross. And his death was confirmed by the soldiers. The soldiers were charged with breaking the legs of anyone on the cross that was still surviving. I remember there were two other men crucified with Jesus. That day we sang about one of them also in uh, one of the hymns this morning, the dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. And, and, and what was his profession of faith? His profession of faith was basically chastising the other guy on the cross uh, because uh, Jesus clearly hadn't done anything wrong. And Jesus looked at him and said, today you're going to be with me in paradise. The soldiers were charged with breaking the legs of anyone who was on a cross to make sure that they died before sunset because this happened to be Friday. A and the Jews didn't want uh, someone hanging on a cross into the Sabbath, so they had to make sure that the person died before sunset. But when they came to Jesus, they did not break his legs, for he had already died. So the soldiers confirmed Jesus' death. But so did two of Jesus' followers. Do you remember Nicodemus? From John chapter 3, that one who came to him by night because he didn't want to be seen with Jesus. He, he was one of the, the Jewish rulers, and, and many of them had a very unfavorable view of Jesus. So he comes to Jesus by night, and Jesus responds uh, that you must be born again. And it's where we get that phrase, being born again. And Nicodemus had kind of, he must have had some kind of a squirrely look on his face. Be born again? How can I go back inside my mom and be born again? That's, that's what he said. And Jesus said, no, you have to be spiritually born. So Nicodemus and another man of the Jewish leadership was named Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea. These two men uh, secured permission to take Jesus' lifeless body off the cross and bury him, for Joseph had a tomb nearby. So the soldiers confirmed that Jesus was dead. Two of his followers, and perhaps others who were there, confirmed that Jesus was dead. The Roman government determined to make sure that, that no one would, could fake a resurrection because there were rumors that, that he was going to die and rise again. So they sealed the tomb and set soldiers outside of it. The soldiers knew he was dead. The followers knew he was dead. And yet Jesus was raised to life. And he proved it. How do you prove that you're alive? 
Well, you show up, right? And that's exactly what he did. He showed up with uh, a couple disciples as they were uh, walking down the road heading toward Emmaus. And then he shows up uh, in a closed room where other disciples are meeting. Paul records for us in 1 Corinthians 15 uh, the, the proof of the resurrection. I'll read for you 1 Corinthians 15 verses 1 through 6. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. In that day, uh, the people were, uh, were denying that there was even a resurrection from the dead. That they were uh, trying to quash the hope of believers that they would be raised from the dead. And so in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is, is, is battling against that. And a few verses later, in verse 20, of 1 Corinthians 15, he says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. Jesus is the firstfruits of the resurrection. Because he is raised from the dead, we have the guarantee of our resurrection if we are a believer in Jesus Christ. Paul's passion is to be raised with Christ, and Christ has not returned yet. Paul, at the time of this writing, was still in his mortal, dying body. And he wanted to be with Jesus. Is our greatest desire to be with and be like Jesus? Or are we satisfied with lesser things? Paul's stating in his assessment of himself that I haven't obtained this yet. Secondly, in verse 12, he says, I'm not perfect either. Paul had not obtained the resurrection, nor had he obtained complete Christ-likeness. Paul, the man who is declaring his unwavering devotion to being like Jesus, freely confesses that he has not made it yet. Are we that honest? Now, I don't hear people saying, oh, I'm perfect. But I do observe believers all the time who put so little, if any, effort into being like Jesus that they're in essence saying, I've arrived. I don't need to grow. Paul is bluntly honest. He says, I have not arrived at perfection. And the next statement fleshes out his imperfection because he has not been raised nor been made perfect. Therefore, he presses on. By pressing on, he is demonstrating his knowledge of where he is. He is not fully like Christ. So he's going to work at it. He's pressing on to make Christ's likeness his own. That word press is the same root word or concept used, uh, used earlier in, in talking about his pursuit um, of, the, of persecuting the church. And by earlier, I mean earlier in his life, not earlier in Philippians. Uh, so in the book of Acts, as we read about Paul's previous life as a persecutor of the church, that same zeal that he had persecuting the church is the zeal that he now has for the church, that he now has 
for the gospel and for his Savior. He fervently and intently sought out those who were of the way of Jesus and tried to persecute them, getting them ripped out of their homes and thrown into jail, even uh, having some beaten to the point of death. This same fervor and intensity he now has pursuing Jesus. So his realistic assessment of himself is, I've not obtained, but I'm working to be like Christ. What's his motivation? That's also in verse 12. He says, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Jesus is Paul's perpetual motivation. Jesus is actually more of a a captivation than a motivation for Paul. Paul presses on in his Christian walk because he's captivated by Jesus. Jesus chose him. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, Jesus chose you. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ today, Jesus may well have chosen you and you haven't responded in faith yet. If you are a believer in Jesus, thank him for paying for your salvation. Thank the Spirit, God the Spirit, for convicting you of sin. Because if you're not convicted and convinced of your sin, how will you ever turn in faith to Jesus Christ? And most of all, thank your Father, your Heavenly Father, for sovereignly choosing you to be saved. We, we prize personal choice. We prize being able to, to choose where we live or what car we drive or whom we marry. I saw someone, we won't say Donna's name, but we, I saw someone working on decorations for the pews to see how they'll look and how they'll fit because someone's getting married this summer. We treasure choice. But our choices are always restricted, aren't they? What if the one you ask to marry says no? Then you are not free to make that choice. Or maybe the car that you want is too expensive. You are not free to make that purchase. Or, or maybe, maybe you have all the money in the world and you order this exotic sports car from Italy and as it's being transported to the United States, it sinks on a ship. You still don't get your car, do you? That didn't happen to me. That, that did happen to some folks, though, this past year, didn't it? Our choices are always restricted. Spiritually speaking, the Bible is clear. This is Romans chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. Here's what the Bible says quite clearly. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. So, can someone who is in that situation, who is not righteous, who does not understand, how can that person choose salvation? They can't, can they? In fact, the, the passage goes on, Romans 3, verse 12. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And, and all these 
these verses that I've read from Romans here are actually quotes from various portions of the Old Testament that Paul is using to make his points to the believers in Rome that, uh, that the choice was God's. No one seeks God. Why not? Because we're born sinners. In our sin-depraved state, we are incapable of choosing God. It is God instead who chooses us. And that fact captivates Paul. He says, I press on to be like Jesus because Jesus chose me and made me his own. That last phrase, uh, in, in a very literal sense, reads this way. Because I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. The Bible does not allow us to nurture a sense of independence that we do this, do anything of our own effort and will. Um, we love because he first loved us. That's from 1 John. In Philippians 2, we work because he works in us. I read that earlier from Philippians 2. I think it's verse 12. And here in this passage, we can make the resurrection and knowing Christ our own because he has made us his own. There's nothing that we do for God that is credited without God. In other words, there are no good works that you and I do that God doesn't help us do. Even the good work of believing in his name. He chooses, he calls, he justifies, he glorifies. He's the one who does all these things. And that's from Romans 8. Many of you probably know that verse. Romans 8, 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Paul pursues Jesus because Jesus has grabbed a hold of him. Believer, today, Jesus has grabbed a hold of you. Will you return to him in zeal and fervor and effort like Paul does because he has grabbed hold of you? So Paul has a, a realistic assessment of himself. He says, I've not achieved, I've not attained, I'm not there yet. He has this perpetual motivation because Jesus has grabbed a hold of him. Thirdly, we see his ongoing objective in verses 13 and 14. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. So he repeats the assessment from earlier. We get it. You haven't arrived, so now what? The verse continues. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. So Paul gives us a past, present, future of what's going on in his life. He's forgetting the past. Can we intentionally forget something? I mean, I'm good at accidentally forgetting things all the time. But can we intentionally forget something? No, our minds don't work like that. We can't choose to forget the past, but we can choose to leave the past there. Right? And that's what Paul's saying. And when you understand his past, you understand the baggage that he has that, that he needs to leave behind. 
Not that he completely forgets. He's not going to forget the road uh, to Damascus when Jesus, uh, when God called down, when Jesus, who is God, called down from the sky and said, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Paul would no doubt love to have a do-over of his past, to go back and not persecute the church, to go back and actually know Jesus in his earthly ministry. Remember, Paul didn't get introduced to Jesus until long after the, the death, burial, re resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. But we cannot undo our past. Paul could have been paralyzed by his past. He could have let the sorrow of his sin weigh on his heart and keep him from pursuing Jesus in the present, but rather he left the past behind him and pushed ahead to Christ. By the way, leaving the past behind us is not just for leaving the negative things behind us, although that's important. Leaving the past behind us is also leaving past victories behind us. And here's what I mean. Uh, my senior year of high school and the following summer, I developed a really solid devotional life. Uh, that's when, that was really the first time in my life that I had uh, daily devotions, spending time with, with God every morning before school, before work, depending on what the situation was. Uh, so I'd get up early, have this undistracted, uninterrupted time in the Bible and in prayer before setting off on my day. And those days that I missed... I felt it. I felt it all day. I couldn't wait to get home and make it right. What if I were to rely on my spiritual victories from the past? What if the spiritual growth I experienced in high school and college stopped at graduation? Growth in Christ in the past certainly benefits my present. That's true. It's true for you too. Growth that you've had in the past benefits you in the present, but it's not sufficient for your future. We must press on. Leaving the past behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. The present Christian life requires effort, labor, struggle. If you think the Christian life is easy, you're not living the Christian life. Sure, there are times that are easier than others, don't get me wrong. But if we are not putting effort into living a godly life, then we are, we are backsliding is, is the term that we use because we're unable to actually just maintain. We can't just, uh, just as an airplane can't maintain level flight without continually putting power to it, we can't maintain our spiritual life without putting constant effort into it so he's forgetting the past he's straining in the now and in the now looking forward verse 14 i press on toward the goal and what's the goal the prize of the upward call of god in christ jesus 2022 is behind us in some ways that's good in some ways maybe not how do we plan to press on in our lives individually? How do you plan to press on in your Christian life in 2023 that builds on wherever you ended 2022? 
we cannot grow unless we put effort in. We cannot grow by status quo. And maybe that's too cheesy and you don't like that. Or maybe it's just memorable enough that perhaps you'll hang on to it. We have to keep pressing on. If you're a runner and you want to increase your speed and your endurance, but you eat terribly and you don't get enough sleep and you don't go out and train, are you ever going to get better at running? No. The same is true in any discipline. The same is certainly true in our spiritual growth. We must put effort in. Earthly prizes do not last. Eternal prizes do. Paul's pressing forward to that eternal prize, that being with Jesus. Heaven motivated Paul. Heaven should motivate us too. Should motivate us to make 2023 a year of steady, measurable growth in Jesus. Paul's confidence is singular. Here's what I mean. His confidence is in Christ alone. Christ is the one who gave him salvation, who called him. Christ is the one who empowers him to live for God in the here and now, and Christ is the goal. Our confidence as well should be singular. False teaching tries to make less of Jesus by convincing us that uh, that we get to take credit for the effort in this world. But I go back to Philippians 2.12. It is God who works in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. How will you press forward in your spiritual life this year? I can't answer that for you. You have to be like Paul and assess where you are Measure the effort that you're putting into it now and make a plan for the future. Would you pray with me? Father, none of us have attained. If, if each one of us would, would genuinely assess our own lives, we would recognize that we have not attained full spiritual maturity. We have not pursued Christ with the fervor and vigor that we should have. So Father, I pray that today would be that turning point. That we would commit to you to spending time with you every day. That we would commit to you to uh, making decisions and choices based on uh, on the, the wisdom and guidance from your word. That we would always obey uh, the, the clear commands of your word, that we would always obey the clear principles of your word. Father, I ask that you would give us that same passion. And, and for some of us, that means we need to have uh, our passions cooled because our passions are in the wrong direction. Whether it, our passion is for or career, family, or politics, or whatever, whatever it is that, that has captivated our attention. Uh, 
Father, grow the flame of passion within us for spiritual things. That we would pursue godliness at the expense of all other desires. And Father, we know that you will bless that sort of passion, that you will provide for the things that we might sacrifice in order to be more like Jesus. So Father, we ask that you would move in and among us as we seek to live for you in this year. In your son's name we pray, amen.